This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Today's show is sponsored by Harry's. They make amazingly high-quality men's shaving products at a price much lower than those other razors locked behind the plexiglass in the drugstore. Try the Truman Starter Set. At $15, it's an unbelievably good deal. You'll get a razor handle, moisturizing shave cream, and three of Harry's five-blade German-engineered razors. And for Think Again listeners, it gets even better. Harry will give you $5 off with the promo code THINK. Just go to harrys.com, H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. It takes literally 30 seconds to check out. And make sure to use the promo code THINK to get your $5 discount. We're also sponsored by Me Undies, incredibly comfortable underwear for men and women made from Modal, a fabric that's twice as soft as cotton. I'm wearing them. Shh. And they're so comfortable that I hardly even know that I'm wearing them. Shipping is free in the US and Canada, and you can save up to $8 a pair with the Me Undies subscription plan. Whether you get the subscription or just a single pair, you can get 20% off your first order when you go to meundies.com forward slash think. That's meundies.com forward slash think for 20% off your first order. Hi there, I'm Jason Gotts, and you're listening to Think Again, a Big Think podcast. Since 2008, Big Think has been sharing big ideas in little doses from some of the most creative thinkers on Earth. The Think Again podcast takes us out of our comfort zone. Big Think's producers surprise our guests and me with ideas that we're not prepared to discuss. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Douglas Rushkoff. He's the author of Present Shock, and according to MIT, who are supposed to know these things, he's one of the 10 most influential thinkers in the world today. His new book is called Throwing Rocks at the Google Bus. It's about how businesses since the late Middle Ages have been focused on growth at the direct expense of human beings, and how algorithms, AI, and massive online platforms like Uber are accelerating this process. He paints a very scary picture, but he also offers a bunch of convincing alternatives. Welcome to Think Again, Douglas. Thanks for having me. So, is it too late for humanity, Douglas? Should we just leave this planet to Amazon and go to Mars? Oh, no, it's not too late. I mean, human beings have the home field advantage on planet Earth. That's what we keep forgetting. And as we grope for empowerment, whether we do it as individuals or as businesses, we tend to think, oh, we're going to jump on Facebook and Twitter, and then I'll have power. I'm going to get more followers, or my videos will be seen by more people. And I think that this is the point. You actually have more power right here in the real world. When you go onto someone else's operating system, particularly if you don't know what that operating system's for, you tend to be leveraged against your own best interests. You know, eventually mm-hmm. you realize, oh shoot, now I'm on Facebook, but now I gotta pay in order to reach my followers, and now there's an algorithm that's also looking at this and that and the other, where if I had just had a local business, you know, and shook hands with people and looked in their eyes, and you know, like we were talking about before, I might have had a, an advantage. I might have had a leg up. So, but everybody gets suckered into this idea that it's inevitable that, there, not everybody, but a lot of us, 
that you kind of have to go where everybody else is and then they find they give up that advantage. Yeah, something. I mean it's funny, I don't mean to sound Luddite here because I love technology deployed consciously, but when you think about it, do you work more or less now that your business is online? <laughs> do you make more money or less? Right. Do you, are you more in touch with the actual product and good and service, the reality of what you're providing? Or are you thinking about all sorts of other weird stuff that may have nothing to do with your business? Right. At least evaluate that. You know, before you take a new technology into your business process where it can burrow in, and if it's a smart technology, it's going to find all sorts of ways to uh, obligate you to continue on that road. You know, think, just think carefully. You propose all these kind of alternative structures or other ways that businesses could operate that would be more human, more peer-to-peer, -peer, and you give examples of companies that are actually doing that. But maybe it's cynicism on my part, but it just feels like the giant octopi like Amazon and Facebook and Google. Like, It seems hard to imagine that the alternatives will ever be any more viable than, say, the Amish are as an alternative to mainstream society. They start to feel marginal. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it is hard to imagine having a real job or a company that creates value unless there's, you know, a full-on zombie apocalypse. But the thing is, the, the jig is up on a certain level. And I know that sounds optimistic, but corporate profit over asset value has been decreasing for 75 years. Right. You know, it's down to the point where corporations really don't know how to make money with the money they've accumulated. And that has to break. It really does. If only three or 4% of the economy goes to advertising and marketing and all those things combined, and you've got Google and Facebook and Twitter and everybody else thinking that somehow they're gonna support this giant NASDAQ stock exchange off advertising, it's not gonna work. There's not enough economy. There's not enough things right. to advertise. So the house of cards will have to come down. And there are enough examples now. I mean, 10 years ago when I started talking about this, there weren't. But now when you see companies like Winco eating Walmart's lunch out west because they have a shareholder, a worker-owned version of Walmart. So workers right. are paid more, the customers like it better, it doesn't bankrupt the communities where they operate. All of a sudden people are going, oh my God, there is another way to do this. And it's real. I mean, yes, Amazon, someone will win on that game, either Amazon or Google or Facebook. There's not room for all three of them. Right. They're playing power law dynamics. It's a zero-sum power law dynamics accelerated game where it's winner takes all. And someone will be the Uber company. Maybe right. it will be Uber. <laughs> we'll see. But they can't, they don't play nice with each other. They can't. So there will be a company up there, but then there are going to be all of these more local ones, particularly as, and in my town I see it, as people can't afford this stuff. People are getting rid of their cable because it's 200 something dollars a month. Right. You know, so then what happens? Then all this money that's going into, you know, the Netflix, Amazon, HBO, all these TV shows, there's never been this many one-hour high-budget dramas. This is unsustainable. That's being paid for with shareholder investment, not with revenue. Right, then... That goes away, or that diminishes in its importance, and people begin to look for other ways to source the things they actually need. You know, like water, and food, and clothes, and lots of those sorts of things you don't need a super long global industrial supply chain. 
right. to get. You, most people live close enough to some kind of farm that they can start to get that stuff a bit more locally. Yeah, we'll still get our iPhones and iPads and iThings from big corporations, our Teslas and our... Right. Um, did you sign up for one yet? <laughs> I want to get the Tesla 4 when they have one for like $12,000. Know? Yeah, I think that's when I'll sign up. Because now you, I got a drone this weekend. My daughter, we got a drone on sale for like $14.99. Okay, It's yeah. little, but it's a drone, so you see, you kind of wait and let, you know, let other people uh, do the R&D for uh, my mass-produced uh, goods later. I think on that note, let's transition to the second part of the show, which is where we are both faced with surprise video cool. clips from the Big Think Archives. Really? And how does that happen? So they're picked by the folks you were just speaking with on camera, yeah. the video producers. They are unbeknownst to me. They've been emailed wow. to me, but and I've not looked at them. we just respond to them? We respond. All right. So first up, this is going to be Nancy Duarte, CEO of Duarte Incorporated. Two times Steve Jobs beat the odds by using a forgotten communication tool. Let me just take a brief pause here to ask you. Do you wear underwear? Probably. Is it comfortable and stylish? Probably not as comfortable and stylish as it would be if it were made by Me Undies. Their underwear is made from Modal, a sustainably sourced fabric that's twice as soft as cotton. I should know. I'm wearing them right now. Too much information? Sorry but they're awesome. You literally don't even notice that they're there. And the ones that I've got are in a snazzy floral pattern that has totally upped my underwear game. Seriously. Go to MeUndies.com and take a look. Shipping is free in the US and Canada, and you can save up to $8 a pair with the MeUndies subscription plan. Whether you get the subscription or a single pair, either way, you'll get 20% off your first order when you go to MeUndies.com forward slash think. That's MeUndies.com forward slash think for 20% off your first order. And now, let's get back to the conversation with media thinker Douglas Rushkoff. Ceremonies are a lesser known and lesser utilized communication device um, in organizations today. So back as far as you can study uh, human behavior, there has been ceremonies in some way. And what we did is we looked at the rites of passage. Most, um, even religions, have some sort of rite of passage ceremony. What happens is you could be single one moment, you go through a 10-minute marriage ceremony, and suddenly you're married. So this moment, this ceremony, transforms you. I am no longer this, I am now that. When you graduate, you go through a graduation ceremony, you know, and, and there's these moments, a bar mitzvah or a quinceanera, where it's like, I was once a young person and now I'm an adult. So especially when an organization is leading really big change, they need these moments where they pause and say, we're not that anymore, and now we are now this. Um, one of the great examples from the book that I love is we covered uh, when Steve Jobs was leading the transition from Mac OS 9 to Mac OS 10. He'd just come back to Apple, and there was this moment where he had this new dream where he really wanted everybody connected to a digital, digital hub, and he was getting frustrated with the last stragglers. So there was an opening scene at WWDC, the big developers conference, where he actually had a coffin under the stage. This coffin rises up from the stage, smoke billows out, stained glass slide up there. He walks out with an oversized box of Mac OS 9 and a red rose. He puts the box in the coffin, shuts the lid, puts a rose on top, and he eulogized the death of Mac OS 9. It's not a speech, it's not a story, it was a ceremony. And it was a really important ending so that they would all understand that, you know what, I need to begin again. And that's what a ceremony does. 
I mean, first of all, it's impossible to care about a corporation's like bar mitzvah, you know, their transition from one state to another. I mean, you know, and sort of insulting to ancient human culture to suggest that a corporation's evolution from one stage to another is somehow yeah. as important as these ancient human rituals. Well, there was a big uh, uh, trend in management theory in the 70s and 80s to use the recently learned family dynamics as your corporate dynamics. So the right. CEO becomes the father, and then you use all these things that you know about people's incomplete relationships with their nuclear families. You leverage that in order to get them to do stuff for CU, you know, as the new father figure, regress right. into a childlike state, transfer paternal authority onto you, and then do your bidding. I mean, these <laughs> are just more modern, new age, Jungian versions of that. And to me, they still, they take you away from the task at hand. Just do the thing. You know, <laughs> and if in his particular situation, as someone who created a cult around OS9, if he needed to take some extraordinary cult-like measure, then fine. But, you know, almost any Steve Jobs example is not applicable to everybody else. It right. being a Steve Jobs example makes it null and void for normal people. Right, right. And it's part of a larger trend of the, the what you're alluding to. It's the appropriation of value. So now Silicon Valley appropriates the value system of San Francisco, the sharing love leftist right, right. bottom-up thing, in order to present this ideal, which is nothing of the kind. They are more ruthless than Wall Street. I mean, yeah. We're actually, what we're arguing for is better deployment, is engineering. We're telling the engineers and the developers, don't accept the underlying operating system at face value. Look at the OS on which you're operating, reprogramming it to your heart's delight. You are the hackers, right. you are the programmers. Don't sell your business to Wall Street, to VC. You have such power beyond what you realize. Right. You know? And they don't almost, you know, to a T, they forget or they refuse to accept just how much power they have. So I also find it both interesting and sort of baffling that MIT, which a little bit like Stanford, has become an incubator yeah. for all kinds of ideas that go off to Silicon uh -huh. Valley. It's sort of a pipeline for business at this point. Also has... Sherry Turkle as a professor there who basically theorizes about how we should talk to each other more and yeah. you know look up from our devices. Do you feel that that's, like I don't know much about MIT, do you feel that that's culturally true of MIT as opposed to Stanford, that they're trying to represent a more ethical approach to this you know fast approaching future? Or? MIT is changing. In the early, the Negroponte days of MIT and the Media Lab, the proof that digital technology meant something was whether or not we were able to get investment. Because anybody who went into technology, our parents thought that we were losers. It was the, oh no, you're <laughs> gonna go be a programmer. It's be, you're gonna just play video games and Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> and have a neck beard and be a loser. Oh my you know, God. No one saw it as a career because you ended up sitting in a garage eating pizza. You know, so once you know, Adobe and then all these big companies came around and then AT&T and others were putting money into Media Lab. Media Lab really adopted that model, that very corporate model of, all right, you get your lab and then which company's gonna support you and how's that work? 
Joey Ito, who's a college dropout and now running MIT Media Lab, right. I mean, he's just putting, what, $900,000 towards 10 Bitcoin projects, and he's looking, he's all into, you know, redistribution of wealth and how's that working. So there's more than one perspective at MIT. Yeah, I mean, even Sherry. Sherry was totally pro-tech, and then she became less pro-tech, but it's not, I don't think it's a rejection of the technology so much as the expressions of technology that are resulting from these business plans. Right. You know, these business plans are about how are we going to extract value from people as their time and as their attention, rather than how are we going to help people create value and be smarter, better people. Yeah, and also this, like, technological utopianism that goes along with it, which is like, we should all be happy and smiling even while you can only find an unpaid internship. Even as your jobs disappear, this is good. Yeah. It's the sharing economy, you know, what is interesting, adopting though, that language. I went you know. to uh, Facebook, was it last week? And uh, they are smiling there. <laughs> they are. They They're are. young. It's like Disney World. <laughs> they have barbecue every day. You can have anything you want to eat for lunch anything and you walk around with little trays outside and there's music yeah and there's walls of food and there's these machines you know at the airport like there's those blockbuster machines where you can get headphones and this and that they have those machines just for the employees you just push buttons and need headphones it's really? like yeah, nerd okay. paradise that's and, hilarious and uh, so there are happy people it's just i don't know if you're not in one of the motherships i think yeah it's and trouble. i mean <laughs> you write about this in your book i mean i don't begrudge people enormous wealth necessarily yeah. so long as the society can function and so long as they are not the vehicle for making it impossible for other people right. to function. Whereas yeah. when you look at what's going on in San Francisco now, the people who live there have to leave. They can't afford to live there anymore because of this sudden and I would argue, you know, unnatural escalation of rent. Right. Particularly on the sites where the Google and Facebook buses take off from. It's even thirty percent higher rent within a certain radius of those, uh, of those I, bus stops. I just read in the paper, I guess you read this too, that Google can't use those bus stops anymore. Because they're public. Yeah. They're public. I guess they have to make their own. Yeah, they're going to put, they're going to like hammer a sign like literally half a block down from the public bus stops, you know, Google bus stop. <laughs> well, that's something. It's really a matter of are they contributing to the land and to the labor? It's hard to be mad at any particular person because even the, the ones who are doing the worst things are doing it out of ignorance. You know, like Travis, the guy who runs Uber. I saw him on Colbert, and I helped write those questions, actually. Oh, yeah? Get in with them. About electric cars and how they're going to unemploy the workers. And, you know, and he's like, look, you know, Apple's working on it. Google's working on it. I've got no choice. It's like, that's not the right stance to take. You know what I mean? You're yeah, oh, I have to do it. Johnny made me do it. You know, <laughs> but I understand they feel like they've got no choice. They're not that developing driverless cars is a bad thing, but to do it merely because you have to. Oh, we're going to add video to our service because we have to in order to compete with this one. It's like, well, what do you do? Wow. What do you do? That's a very interesting you know, situation for the leaders of industry to be in to actually believe that they have no choice I know. to do what everybody else is and doing. And who does have the choice is really where you go. It's like, what do they have the choice? Does the shareholders have the choice? Do the employees have the choice? Who does, you know? Right. And I, you know, the good thing about the fact that it's this unvirtuous circle is that it also could be a virtuous one. Anyone in the whole stream can change their minds. A programmer could say, oh, you know, I'd rather develop something that is uh, constructive. It's like the Wizard of Oz. If you realize that you're wearing the ruby slippers, you can actually 
go home. But until then, you're just wandering. The yeah, path. and that was from a, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, Frank Baum, who was a window dresser and a, and a theosophist and a, oh, a true believer. Know. Look up him. He's an interesting guy. I mean, he was like that Calvinist sort of uh, belief in, in growth of America and all. But that was a different time, too. Indeed. You know, it's when, when there was, in a sense, more room to grow. When the idea of selling a lawnmower and a snowblower to everyone on the block, there was no downside to that. We weren't thinking about resource depletion and pollution and all that. Mm -hmm. you know, and now we understand, well, there's diminishing returns to that model. So shall we see if the next video is going to take us in a, a totally uh, different direction? How long is direction? it per video? So typically we talk uh, 10 minutes per video. All right. How many are we doing? Just three. All right. This is Joshua Cohen, who's a novelist and it's called Applying Political Correctness Standards to Our Books is a Big Mistake. But before we get to that clip, I want to take just a minute to tell you about our sponsor, Harry's. Harry's is a men's shaving company that will mail you high-quality German-engineered razors and shaving products at an incredibly low price. A couple years back, I transitioned to the dangerous, stubbly electric razor look, so Harry's razors are literally too good for me. I tried the Truman set out, and the shave was supremely close and comfortable. I wish I'd had them a few years ago when I was going broke buying razors at the drugstore. If close and comfortable is your vibe, stop paying extortionary prices for your razors. Try the Truman Starter Set. It's an incredible deal for just $15. You'll get a razor handle, moisturizing shave cream, and three of Harry's five blade razors. And for Think Again listeners, there's an even sweeter deal. Harry's will give you $5 off. So that's gonna be $10 for the Truman Set with the promo code THINK. Go to harrys.com, H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. It will take you literally 30 seconds to check out and make sure to use the promo code THINK to get your $5 discount. And now let's get back to the conversation. I don't give a fuck what anyone says on college. I think if you're in college, you shouldn't actually have an opinion about anything. But that said, my biggest problem is not what happens in college campuses, because I don't, I try to stay away from college campuses as much as possible, is, is really just, you know, what happens to language and people's free use of language. I think that speech should be harmful, and defang speech is not speech. I think speech should always have the power to wound, and I think it should be allowed to wound, because not only is that the right pressure valve that brings you away from actual physical violence, but more importantly, it's a preparation for true pain in life. I mean, there's two different things. I mean, and even this speaker, although he's good looking, like almost like a Matthew Broderick type, <laughs> um, uh, there's two things that are being conflated. One is politically incorrect speech, which is one conversation. The other is anger and hatred. Okay. Right? I'm glad he's not a college professor because he hates college students. He <laughs> yes. hates them. He resents them, especially the ones who are, you know, whatever, having sex or having fun and not suffering enough like he did in those years. You know, I teach at City College in Queens, right. New York, Queens College, not even the grad center here in Manhattan. And there are kids in my class. They, some of them have kids. Some, everybody works. They're the first generation in their family to go to school. These are the least entitled people who are expending a massive amount of effort 
to try to come to school. It's not like when we went to college and you like live on this beautiful campus right. and walk around and complain and go and eat and join fraternities, whatever people do. No, these are the kids who are staying up all night after they get their kid to bed in order to try to uh, you know read the assignment. And uh, and are they in your? Are these people in your class? Like, are they? Do they have to be majors in media studies? Are no, they I trying mean, to do nursing or like, no. The great thing is most of these students have no idea who I am. Okay, you know I'll get an email a year later or something saying. I didn't realize you were that guy. <laughs> Why didn't you tell me you were famous or something? It's good, which is really fun. You know, it's the way it should be. It's the way it should be. They don't know. Let them find out later. Oh, right. You're on TV. But uh, I can see not wanting to be politically correct in front of them, and I'm not. I mean, what? I'll talk about lynchings and how sure. they happen. I'll talk about what Coke did to people in South America. I'll, I'll tell them the truth. But I'm increasingly aware that there is, at least where I'm, there is something of a left-wing conspiracy in a lot of education today. Okay. It's assumed that we're Marxists. I mean, by the, like your faculty and all. Right. And you know, just because I am one doesn't mean everyone should be one. You right. Know what I mean, just because I have these views about distribution of, of wealth and whatever. I do see, it's not political incorrectness, but I see a belligerence among many faculty and an intolerance for, all right, I'm teaching a communications class. Here's a junior. She's a girl. She wants to go into advertising. And that's what she wants to do. She doesn't want to hurt people, whatever, but she wants to go into advertising. Or this one wants to go to do PR for big companies. Right. This one wants to do advertising for a megachurch. What am I going to do? So, oh, God is not real. Christ is not God. Right. Your megachurch is stupid. You know, what? There's what is a knee, that? knee jerk there is, pressure as to. As if they don't buy things. my understanding. No, I want them to read and understand this view of the political economy, but at the same time, I'm teaching Milton Friedman and, right. and Adam Smith and, and, and market ideology. Yeah, if you're going to take a course with me, you are going to end a little bit more suspicious of corporatism and free market capitalism than maybe you would if you were taking Donald Trump's class right. <laughs> and those things. But Donald Trump is not politically incorrect. Donald Trump is giving voice to hate and giving voice to fear. People are afraid of blacks. The reason they're afraid of blacks is because we enslaved them for like a hundred years and we're still scared that they're gonna come hurt us. Right. People are afraid of women because we've subjugated them for eight or 900 years and uh-oh, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. they're coming back. And some of them are pretty and powerful. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the enemy, <laughs> the enemy is intolerance wherever right. it comes from. I mean, what someone like Donald Trump might call political correctness is maybe strong intolerance on the opposite side of the political spectrum. I mean, people on the left who don't want to hear what he has to say, you know? Yeah. All right, so let's, shall we move on to the yeah. third and final? All right. The porn one. Yes, this one is about porn. No, I don't know what it's Could about. Be. Let's see. It might be. It's probably porn. Okay. <sighs> it is a personal growth teacher. Oh, God. I know. You see, they're doing this to me on purpose. Uh, they might but, be. But, Okay, let's see. Let's so see let's if see. we like her. Tara Sophia Moore, personal growth teacher. I just don't like personal growth. I don't like growth. 
Yeah, I'm that, that your, your whole book is anti-growth. Yeah, I'm into personal sustainability and connections, but let's see how we grow. Fear. It's scary to be your authentic self. And that idea seems true because often, right, when you've thought about going for your dreams or being more authentic in your work or your life, a kind of fear comes up. In Hebrew, there are actually many words for fear. One is pachad, and pachad is a fear of projected or imagined things. In our contemporary terms, this is what we talk about as the fear of the irrational lizard brain, right? It's that um, overreactive fear that sees asking someone on, out on a date as you know, a possible life-threatening danger. That's pachad, the fear of imagined worst-case scenarios or consequences, a kind of delusional fear that we're all hardwired to have. But here's the fascinating part. There's a second word in Hebrew for fear, and that word is yira. And yira is, uh, the closest translation in our language would be awe, but it's not exactly awe. Rabbi Lu defines yira as the fear that comes upon us when we inhabit a space that is larger than we're used to inhabiting. And when I heard that, I understood differently what I've experienced, what my clients experience, what you've experienced, when you touch an authentic dream for your life. I think perhaps a majority of people experience their reality and their obstacles as these internally generated Things just feel so Western. I have this internally generated obstacle. <laughs> now I'm going to see my way through, around, over, under, or past. Whereas it's like the kids that I'm dealing with at, at Queens, the obstacle is I got no money and my mother's in the hospital and my child needs someone to take care of it. I can't be in class today. You know, the obstacles are just so legitimate. Right. But uh, I just don't want people to fool themselves into thinking, like you, I was a theater person back when. And there was a time in the 80s when all the theater people, they started chanting, Nam Yaho Renge Kyo. Right. And they bought these little things, these little Korean, I think, the little box in the corner, and they go, dong, dong, Nam Yaho Renge Kyo, Nam Renge Kyo, really fast and dinging on something. Yeah. And focusing on the job that they wanted or the part that they're gonna get. It's like the secret. And while, yes, the approach you take to life should not be underestimated in terms of its ability to influence what comes to you, it also shouldn't be overestimated. In the end, it does take hard work, and it's not magic. It really isn't. Sure. I mean, let's say, you know, there were a guaranteed minimum income. Let's say not everybody has to work all yeah. the time, as you suggest in your book, you know, not being an entirely insane communist right. plot, but actually something we might do yeah. at some point. And then so people have more choice in terms of, like, what are they going to do with their time? How are they going to construct right. their lives? There does come right. a point where you do have to step back, does you know, and get I that bigger so. picture. You know, and I'm lucky because I've been, I've had the luxury of not being utterly divorced from meaning, whereas I suppose a lot of people, particularly if they got stuck in a cubicle doing, you know, actuarial work for an insurance company <laughs> right. or, you know, judging mortgage payments, that they've gotten so disconnected from the idea that they can create value. Right. You know, people are really scared. The part of the reason they're scared of a zombie apocalypse is because they have nothing to contribute. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're like, I do something that has no value in the real world. 
that's a shame if you do something that has no value in the real world. Yeah, there are these specialized things, I understand that it's fine, but you should be able to, the thing is the thing you do and the thing you do for money don't necessarily have to be the same thing. That's true. You know, the problem with our time is we look at people for their utility value rather than their sacred value of being human beings. And the problem with so much career life coaching is by trying to integrate the person's spiritual development with their career development, you end up potentially marrying the values of corporatism to the <laughs> values of self-improvement. And it's not necessarily true. You could be, look, I'm gonna teach stuff, or I'm gonna farm stuff, or I'm gonna do right. you know, whatever, because we're gonna get to a place where, yeah, so I contribute to our family craft beer business, and then I write music at night or try to develop video games. Yeah. It, it's yeah, fine yeah. to have a somewhat bifurcated existence, you know, especially as we get to this place where no one's gonna have to work in order to survive. I think you're right, but at the same time, I guess, as jobs pay less and less, or there are fewer and fewer high-paying jobs, people are having to spend more and more time at work. They want their values married to what they're doing for their work because that's yeah. their whole life, you know? That's where they are, 50, 60 hours. I know, hours. Yeah. and what's supposed to be, I mean, in theory, as there's more automation, we should get to work less. Go yes, to four days right. and three days and two days, which is where I think it will go. At least your work to sustain yourself will diminish. And then the stuff that you do to expand yourself can take up more and more of your time. Douglas Rushkoff, we've taken more than enough of your time. Hopefully have not extracted value at, at your personal expense. No, well, you will once you're starting to show my videos and having <laughs> other people say, you know, what, what's wrong with him? I Somehow I don't. But I have love. I have love for all these people, except maybe the first one. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for being <laughs> on Think you. Again. And that's it for this week's episode of Think Again. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm gonna basically keep saying it every week until it happens. Uh, May 21st, 5 p.m. at the Cake Shop in New York City. We're gonna be performing the show live with Tony and Obie award-winning actress Sarah Jones, who is a very funny, multi-character creator, super intelligent. It's gonna be a really good time. That is at the Cake Shop in New York City, May 21st at 5 p.m. as part of NYC PodFest. I hope you can join us. Next week, I'm joined by James McBride, his new book is about James Brown and his life and his legacy and all of the craziness that happened after his death in the context of America of his time. I hope to see you then.